0: Hello book lovers, you're listening to Both Sides Book Club with Katie and Debbie
1: Allen. Every two weeks we get together and chat about a different book. We can't promise you that we will always agree, but then there are at least two sides to every story.
0: Why don't you read with us and join in the conversation? Let's go.
1: book lovers and welcome back to both sides book club you are with Katie and Debbie happy 2021 yes and we are diving in our first book for February was the last thing to burn by Will Dean and oh my it was a good one for biting your nails and really uh Intense and very, very good. And not sleeping. No, not sleeping. <laughs> I binge read this in two days. It was, um, it really was great. <laughs> so, although this book isn't um, suited for everybody, I will give you a little bit of a content warning that it does deal with some pretty intense um, things that goes that goes on the with the book. There's Woman Captive. Um, and some horrible things happened to her. Um, so I will tell everybody that just in case you are, haven't read it yet and mm. you're you, – just so you know what you're getting in for. Um, but to recap the book, it um, – I mean, what more can I say really? It is set in England um, on a little farm – in a little farmhouse, a two-by-two, two, a two-story um, yep. cottage. Hot- cottage. Mm. Um it has this woman who is held captive um, and basically performs roles in a, of a marital... Um, she's, yeah, she's just, she's just captured by a farmer and they're living a sort of husband-wife, uh, noir, weird situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. to not give much away. Yeah. Uh,
0: although I have, although I think um, we should actually say because we don't want to put people off reading the book. Yeah. So so Katie said that yeah there are some pretty dark things that that happen and yes there are but the the writing is yeah. is so well done and the characters are so well rounded. um rounded and portrayed and there is uh you know and there is definitely a feeling of um, of hope um, and of, friendship and friendship and love um, and family in this book. So it's not. Um, it's it's not, not, comp- not all doom and gloom. It's not. It's not
1: completely completely black. No. Mm. And I. Um, we're very fortunate enough for this episode that we get to speak to the author of this book, Will Dean, who is calling in from his little cottage in the middle of the forest in Sweden. Um, and he will be giving us a little bit more um, information and, and insight, insight, into the book, into the book, and just that contrast of exactly what we spoke about of 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 the the dark, but also there's the a lot of light in there yeah. too. So just in a minute, we are jumping on the call to him.
2: Can you hear me? Okay. Yes.
1: yes. Hi. Hi yeah. hey Will. How <laughs> <Thank> are you? I'm <laughs> oh,
2: good, thank you. thank you. It's lovely to see you. Thank you for having me on.
1: Oh, thank you so You're much. Welcome, welcome to both sides Book Club. <laughs> was <laughs> a little chorus there. Oh, <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> Note to self: we must work on our introductions. That sounded terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so you're um, you're
0: talking to us from um, the middle of the woods in Sweden, which is quite extraordinary. Since we're um, on a very it's actually quite cloudy outside, but it's it's stinking hot, oh, it's, and so hot. it's so hot and ridiculously humid at the moment. Um, But we're sort of sitting here thinking, oh, wow, we're so hot.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm very envious. It's like minus 11 or minus 12 here. You're kidding. Yeah. And um, a lot of snow. And it's, Mm. um, yeah, we live a very kind of, quiet isolated life here in the forest so it's a very kind of old fashioned kind of uh, way of life really
0: yeah because you call yourself um I'm, I've I've watched some of your um your youtube videos and 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 that's what you call yourself is the forest author so can you tell us a little bit about about how you come to be living in the middle of a forest in sweden
2: it's a good question <laughs> I say that sometimes so, yeah so i i was brought up in the middle of nowhere in the UK, Mm. in the Midlands, in a kind of agricultural rural area, very bookish kid, and then I lived in London for 15 years working, but we, my wife and I had a tiny little one-bedroom flat in London, it's so Mm. expensive there, and we always wanted some space and some, and I'm a very outdoors person, so I always knew I wanted to live, like, not in London, and we found this piece of land on the internet, it's like a boggy, swampy clearing in the middle of a moose forest, Yeah, and it was really cheap like most Swedes (laughs) wanted to live here this is how their grandparents used to live when it was really tough you know Mm. before you had four by fours and wi-fi and stuff Mm. so we we bought it and we drained the land and I built a cabin like a wooden house Mm. and yeah we live here we grow a lot of our food we have a well for water we use our own wood for heating and cooking so we have this very kind of um slow-paced quiet kind of life Mm. But
0: obviously you do, you do have some mod cons because you obviously have electricity and you and you have internet. So you know so it's sort of not quite not quite the same as, oh, as I think as it's Paris. still
1: pretty I thought no, no 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 so sorry I'm not <laughs> I'm not
0: saying it's not but I I'm, I'm, like, I'm like listening to
1: wills like set up and I'm like oh man that sounds really great right now.
2: <laughs> I mean the only, the only... Like internet we have is mobile broadband on our phone, so I'm right. to you through my phone right now. Yeah, there's no phone lines here, and the electricity we're we're right at the end of the line on a back right. line, so we have power cuts constantly, and they yeah they last for a long time. So we have like a solar system backup, right? Yeah, we have a hy- hydro backup as well. So yeah, it's not as wild as. Some people live. It's not like Alaska or anything, mm. but it's, uh, it's. It feels quite wild. It's. it's like, uh, I yeah. think
1: it's still pretty wild. I think it's still pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. and I think too the it's contrast. The
2: like hour of our journey out of the forest is all off road as well, so there's no oh, real road. It?
1: Yeah, and I think so the. Con- it's,
2: it's it's about as wild as we want it really.
1: That's yeah. so good. That's so good, and I think the contrast probably from London to there would have been quite extreme.
2: Yeah, I really miss London right now. I miss everywhere cuz obviously with this year I haven't been traveling and no. I travel a lot for mm. for books and for festivals. So it's been kind of nice and kind of strange to be constantly in the woods with no one here. Like we have no neighbors, so it's uh it's been it's been an interesting experiment.
0: So you've got to know each other very very well indeed. <laughs> I
2: think we knew we knew each other pretty well. Before, but yeah, we've, um, it's it's been intense. <laughs> it's been good for reading and writing, but it's intense.
0: Mm, yeah, that's amazing. what's COVID. What's COVID been like in Sweden? Because we've heard, um, you know, uh, we're so far away, and and Australia has has come off incredibly lightly. Fortunate. you know, we've been so so fortunate, I guess, because we're isolated largely from the from the rest of the world. So whilst we've you know we're we've had. COVID and we still have cases of COVID it by no hasn't affected us anywhere near as much as it has um, you know globally Europe Europe, or the states but Sweden started by not having having a fairly open sort of attitude didn't it to 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 COVID but has that changed over over the year?
2: It's kind of strange like our news stories are all how well Australia and New Zealand are handling this crisis and how badly Europe is handling it. And obviously in the UK, where my family are, the lockdowns are very strict. But in in Sweden, there's not really any lockdowns. It's Mm. kind of weird. Um, Mm. Like if I go to the supermarket now, which is like an hour away, maybe one in 20 people wear a mask.
1: That's the same as here. That's the same as here. Like even during, well, I mean, not all of Australia, but we live... um, well, it's kind of classified rural, but it's definitely not uh cabin in the woods rural. Yeah, um, it's coastal. It's coastal, mm. um, like small little sleepy, surfy towns. And um, like even during like the peak of lockdown, we were still able to go fishing and surfing and like go do a bunch of stuff. So that was pretty good. Mm. So it's kind of similar, but not obviously not Sydney or Melbourne or they, mm. they had a... Yeah. pretty rough time doing mm. stuff but yeah yeah um mm. but anyway onwards yes. enough was enough yeah. for COVID. um congratulations on your book it was such a great book to start the book club year with we've had um so many at the end of last year we kind of were doing um we like to like mix our genres up all the yeah. all the time but we were um you know looking at lots of theme like 2020 themes i guess there were quite a few of them um and then everybody was like, oh, I'm just craving something that I can like sink my teeth in and bite my nails and like um, all the little dark thoughts that we all have in our brains. <laughs> so you're, Speak for yourself. No, everybody, I think everybody has a little like, oh, like a little, it's like popping a pimple, like, oh. Um, and not that I'm comparing your book to popping a pimple, I should say. <laughs> but um <laughs> Brilliant book to start the year off. So thank you so much for um, writing it and joining us today, so we can talk about it with everybody that's read. Um, mm. We've had so many people that have written in and gone, "Oh my gosh, I read it in two days, and like I haven't been able to put it down." And da 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 da. Mm. Um, so I thought maybe we thank could. You. Oh, sorry. Go go. You go. Yeah, you talk. <laughs> no, I just wanted, to...
2: I just wanted mm. to thank you for saying that and, and for selecting the book. And I'm very grateful it's quite wild to me and quite wonderful to think of readers in Australia reading a book. It really is because when you're writing something, I wrote the first draft in 2017, you never know if it's going to resonate with readers or not. So Mm. it's lovely to hear. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, thank you. Mm. Um, So maybe we can sort of jump into a little bit about the storyline because I've heard that it kind of came, the storyline came to you in the middle of the night. Um, Would you like to elaborate on that a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure. So, it was 2016, uh, like midnight, that that interesting borderland between wakefulness and sleep, where I love to have mm. ideas, but they rarely come properly. And sometimes you'll have an idea and I'll just write it down, I'll write a note and it won't make any sense the next day or I'll just let it go. But this idea came to me at midnight and I saw in my mind's eye a kind of Fenland landscape, this extremely flat coastal landscape. Mm. And then I saw a tiny little farm cottage at the center of a vast farm and I saw there was a woman there and she was going in and out of the cottage and around the cottage but never very far away Mm. and I was just kind of intrigued by that image from an aerial perspective like what's her story and then I came to understand she wants to leave but she cannot leave Mm. and clearly she's not kind of chained up so I wanted to understand what the dynamics were there and then between midnight and 6 a.m. I just stayed awake and went with that story and kind of by 6 a.m. I had all the key scenes and the, the relationship and I kind of understood Len, the farmer, and mm. I understood uh, what was going to happen at the end. So, yeah, by 6 a.m. I kind of, when my wife woke up, I told her that I had this idea. <laughs> it, was, it was weird. Like, that's never happened to me before, that it's come so complete. And yeah. I think partly that's because it's quite a simple, it's quite a simple book set in one place.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the so the because obviously you grew up in um in in the in the East Midlands. Um,
1: I've, is that uh, where you're from the Midlands? No, I'm from the West Midlands. Oh, the West, the West Midlands,
0: Midlands not yeah. the East Midlands. Yeah. Um. So you know that landscape is obviously very sort of flat and uh, and open. Um,
1: should we maybe what? explain to some some of our Aussie friends where the Midlands is? Because I feel well, like... Will,
0: Will what, yeah, can you just sort of explain a little bit about the fence and yeah, where, you, where you, grew you grew up? up.
2: Mm. Yeah, so exactly. It's where I grew up. It's the east of England. So it's kind of reclaimed land. It's farmland, which is extremely rich now. Um, but it was used to be in the sea. And it's mm. been it's been reclaimed by digging ditches. So it is completely flat. You can see for miles and miles and miles in every direction. The skies are huge. At night, you get these mists forming. It's very eerie. It's just a very odd landscape. And it's made the more kind of creepy by the fact that she, the main character of this book, and it's her story, not his story, it's Mm. her story. She can see for miles around, even though she's captive on this farm. Mm. So the, the book's been likened to Misery by Stephen yeah. King and Room by Emma Donoghue, and it is a kind of captive story. But the difference is, you know, if you're captive in a, in a shed or in a bedroom, you can't see very far, whereas the main character here, she can see six or seven different parish church Wow. in the yes. distance. So yes. it's, a, it's, it's awful. It's like a constant source of hope for her, but she can never quite She get can never that. actually so, get like, there. I just find that terrifying.
1: yes. Yeah. Oh, that hasn't even – that hadn't occurred to me before, but totally. Because I think when um, – because I, I loved The Room and – but in, in The Room and with Emma Donahue she does create this own, like, universe for herself and her child, whereas you're right. It's like you're constantly being confronted with, like, that is what I – and I just can't get there every seeing day. Seeing the world, but
0: you just cannot – so having this vast yeah. horizon, but but then being so so confined. Is that mm. is that
1: actually partly why you added in um, her ankle injury, like as a more like a, also a physical obstacle?
2: Yeah, because I wanted it to seem to lend like it's a normal marriage, like yeah. it's almost a charade that he believes in. So yeah, I didn't want her chained up or anything like that. I just wanted. Hope You know, that, that distant road with those lorries and those tractors to be just out of reach. So it's mm. kind of conceivable that she can get away and she might try to get away, but she can never quite make it because the distances are so vast. Yeah. And his level of control is so complete. Mm. Mm. She can never quite make it.
0: It's, 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 it's quite funny. I re- I read um, Last Thing to Burn before before Christmas. I had you know, we, you know we had a we had a copy from the publisher, which was fantastic. Um, and um, I had hurt my foot. So <laughs> I had this thing happening with my with my ankle and my heels. So so walking has been really painful for the last three months. It's pretty much better now. But, it, but it was, but before Christmas, like every time I put my foot down, I just had this sharp stabbing pain Aww. and I read, and I so empathised with her I mean you know nobody had taken a rifle or or an axe and smashed my my ankle Um, but it was you know just that kind of ah where you know that when every single time you try and stand or walk um, you you know you have this pain so it really sort of resonated with me in that way.
2: Not bad
1: for putting you through that. Reading it with your game. <laughs> No, it's, it's good for her. It's <laughs> <laughs> it Empathise with the character, anyway. Character more. building, mum.
0: <laughs> it was character. It was. No, Will was character building. I was, was just. I was just empathising.
1: <laughs> Role playing, <method laughs> that's right.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: so maybe we can talk a little bit about the captivity. Is it Tan or Tan? Tan.
0: How How would you oh, pronounce yes, it? Tan. Then, Ten. Out. Ten. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, was that based on, so I, I know you sort of said that it came to in the middle of the night, but did you draw reference um, from any sort of real life uh, situations or stories that you'd heard or like, where did that sort of captive and abduction come from?
2: I had the idea I researched for about six months, mm. but I didn't research, I didn't want to research specific real life cases. I didn't yeah. want to draw from that. I, I, I more researched first-hand accounts of what trafficking can feel like yeah. in certain circumstances. And so I wanted to understand the main character's perspective. Like, for example, the the weight placed, the importance of a few possessions. Mm. That's not something that kind of occurred to me until I started researching. And I understood that, you know, she came to that farm with 17 possessions. Yeah. And by page one of the book, she only has four left. Yeah. And each one of them has so much more significance than most of our possessions, mm. because she's so far from home mm. and so detached from her family and from safety. So, yeah, I needed to research those kind of things. And I also needed to research things like which crops, which agricultural crops were being sown at which mm. at mm. different times of the year and harvested so that that would be authentic. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I researched all of those angles quite a lot but i didn't draw upon any individual real life case
1: mm. is um the through your research of going into human trafficking is that something that's sparked your like interest is it something that you're passionate about
2: i mean it was just shocking the research mm. i did like it you you see news news stories and they kind of come and go quite quickly and that has a momentary impact on all of us mm. but to to really understand some of the pain and some of the anguish, I think fiction perhaps deals with that really well, where you have to take a deep dive into someone's, someone's shoes for a little while and Mm. and you're forced to empathize with their situations.
1: Mm. Mm.
2: So I don't know. It's, 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 it's one of those things where a writer just kind of has to do their best and, and put you as a reader in that situation for a little while. And I think, the 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 horrors of human trafficking are so epic yeah. it's, it's on such a vast scale kind of 40 million people globally that is estimated yeah. to be going through something like this yeah and it's a crime that we often you know we 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 glimpse it or we we see we see a headline but we don't go deep into it so totally. yeah i guess Subconsciously, I wanted to take a deep dive into that, but mm. on a conscious level, I just wanted to tell one woman's story. Really?
1: Mm. Totally. Yeah, we yeah. did a book um, last year, and we actually so, interviewed um, a young woman that worked for a twenty one, and um, it was uh, um, by Abby Daray.
2: Yeah, have
0: you
1: have you read Abby Daray's The Girl with the Louding Voice?
2: No, but I have it on my bookshelf. Read it. Oh, read it. It's It'll fantastic. It. Yeah, you'll, it's you'll, really, really yeah, good. Yeah. You'll,
0: you'll love it, which which is obviously about um, trafficking, trafficking in, in, do, domestic trafficking in Nigeria, which is a, you know, which is a, a, an enormous problem. Um, and mm-hmm. the education of girls in, in Nigeria, which is where Abby um comes from originally Mm. although she she now lives in England um so so again I mean it was as you're saying it was something that really you know we I think it's such a
1: big it's such a big like as you just said it's such a big scale of different varying degrees of trafficking and I think like sometimes the more like um like intense stories uh we're able to understand a little bit more but you're right in that stripping back of just the one person or the one story. I think like fiction and authors are able to give a space where you can kind of understand that, the impact the on a personal level, rather than a
0: statistical level, or I on think. a family level. I mean, yeah. you know, um, well, totally. because because it's not only Tan, it's also also her sister. her sister, totally. um, that that you tell the story of, and you know, and that their uh, and their separation from their parents, yeah. that their parents thought that they were. You know, were supportive of them going because they thought that they were going to, you know, to to a better life, mm. and and um, yeah, yeah, and so congratulations in that because it really does personalize. Um, the the whole the whole sort of concept. Yeah. I mean I guess we you know, I mean we hear about when trafficking has gone wrong, you know, the you know, the awful story about the container um at Dover with with um all I think they were Vietnam, all all of those Vietnamese people that, that had died. Um, so we kind of hear those big ticket news items, but we don't really hear a lot about the fact that it it it, it goes on all the time. Mm.
2: mm. I wanted to make it kind of in some ways relatable, like on a domestic setting, just in a house, a normal, a little two up, two down cottage, mm. where you, you, you do live with the main character through her daily routines of kind of cooking the mm. food that he wants her to cook and cleaning. And it's a very small scale story in that way. It's not We're not talking about millions of mm. people, what's affecting millions of people. We're talking about one person. And like you say, it's a story of family. Yeah. And resilience, as much as it it is a thriller, and I hope it's the story of love as well. You know the love that the main character has for her sister, Mm, and mm. for you know her memories of her family back home, and Mm. and her hope for the future. So, yeah, I try to, I I like to zoom in very very close up on the story.
1: Mm. That's amazing. Mm. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about the possessions throughout. I know you kind of spoke about that you know, she starts with 17 and within the first chapter she's down to four. But did you try and use, I felt like each of the possessions were kind of like symbolism in how things were starting to escalate and it kind of was like a good um, sinking point throughout each sort of um, part in the book. Was that... um, Oh, what am I trying to say? Not a sinking point, but it was a.
0: Well, 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 I mean, it was an. You're right. It was an escalation, and wasn't es- it? I yes. mean, it's the way that the tension built throughout. You know, throughout certainly through the first the first half of of the book. It's you know, well, how how much more can she can Tan lose? Yeah, and I um, think as
1: well, like the ankle, hmm. it's a very tangible way of kind of understanding what she's going through. Could you hmm. maybe tell us a bit about that symbolism? It's
2: exactly like you say, like with every possession that he burns, it just it's, a, it's an extra level of erosion of her identity mm. and her character. And, and it's, it's how much can she take? Yeah. And what happens when he burns the final possession? Yeah. What is that leading to? And they, they are all symbolic. So one is a photo of her mm. parents, mm. which is just... And, and the way he burns things is quietly menacing is horrific yes. so he will ask her to choose if she does something that displeases him yeah. he will say which one of your possessions are we going to burn tonight which mm. I hate that it just, yeah. it, I had a yeah. knot in my stomach every time I wrote one of those scenes and then she would have to choose do I burn the book the, the copy of Mice and Men that's keeping me sane mm. or do I burn the only photo of my parents mm. or do I burn my ID card which is the only thing that possesses Writing in my own language and things Mm. like that—it's just—it's what would terrify me, I guess, or what would terrify Mm. any of us. And yeah, it does get worse. The the fewer possessions she she has, like, what is she hanging on to? And at the same time, he is giving her pain medication,
0: which is human—the horse pills,
2: agricultural pain medication. (laughs) So her grasp of herself is kind of falling apart as Mm. we go through. That first half of the novel, mm. and then something happens halfway through the novel where the whole thing kind of changes, and she does have hope again. But yeah, the possessions and the burning of the possessions is just something that kind of um, freaked me out. The idea of it was just mm. horrific. So. I did see it as a, as a symbolic thing and I did see it as a way to, yeah, escalate
1: the tension. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I'm going to just do a spoiler alert for everybody that's listening um, to this. If you haven't read this book, well, tough tough luck because <laughs> you guys will read it very quickly. So, sucked in. you need to go and read it. Um, I'm going to ask Will a question that does give away a little bit. So if you don't want to listen, please uh, turn the volume down for a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you sort of said that uh, something does happen and she does get hope again, I'm assuming you're talking about um, the birth of her child? Yeah. So would you say that was um, a an important thing for her to be able to get a sense of identity again in herself rather than sort of a um, objects she's able to give herself a sense of purpose and identity?
2: I wanted it, that whole experience to be where she has something to live for and something to fight for. Yeah. Um, Before that, she was kind of fighting to keep her sister Mm. safe in Manchester. Mm. But now she has something concrete and alive that she needs to to care for. she's responsible for, and she kind of excludes Len mentally from that family dynamic. Yeah. Mm. For her, the family is the baby and her. That is the family, and she Mm. will do anything for that child. And mm. at the beginning, she goes through a process as well when she, when she's pregnant of kind of hating the baby at the beginning, hating the the idea of it.
0: Quite understandably.
2: Completely understandably. Yeah. Like, it's... The, completely understandably. And then through the pregnancy, that mind shift gradually happens where she falls in love with this baby. Mm. She loves this baby. She will do anything for the child. And and then she kind of... There's a team, then against Len. Mm. It's her and another. And they both give comfort to each other in different ways Mm. so the baby has a tough time but she is giving comfort to her mother and those two are quite a formidable team Mm. Um, and it it does it gives gives the main character something to think about beyond the next week or the next month yeah she dreams very early on when the baby is very small that She kind of dreams of the baby growing up and and leaving that place, Mm. running away and having a life for herself. And she often talks... In a way that's kind of parallel to of my cement of the hopes and dreams yeah. and ambitions and careers and relationships for her daughter, the things that she can no have.
0: Yeah, and it also um, I really liked the way that um, the relationship between Len and Tan begins to shift in that because she's got she has the, totally. the, the the baby to look after, then she yeah. becomes more assertive. So whilst he's still obvious, she's obviously still a captive and very very um, much. Um, confined, you know, she does actually begin to alter his behaviour mm. and then, you know, that she demands that he goes and, and, and finds... Formula. Formula. Mm. And, you know, so there is the... And I think that that... It shows gives so her much
1: complexity, to, didn't it?
0: That then begins to give her the confidence that she needs in order then to make the final step. Yeah. that The fact that she can be a little bit proactive in in the relationship...
2: Mm. that and I think that dynamic kind of started shifting the day that she gave birth yeah I think Len kind of recognized wow this this person is powerful mm. this person managed to do this yeah and also and she she this she kind of made a made a call to reduce her medication so she was more present yeah and that she would do anything for her child so yeah and I, I don't know if that maybe I couldn't have written those scenes if I hadn't have seen my wife with my, with my son. Mm. I don't know. Just seeing the, that bond, the power of that bond and seeing that relationship move on may be informed how I wrote that, I don't know. Mm. Oh, that's that's mm. incredible. That's beautiful. You've got all this to come. <laughs> I know all this to come. I'm, I'm
1: actually pregnant at the moment.
2: So. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um yeah, which is exciting. And and uh, don't worry, your book didn't terrify me <laughs> Just so you know <laughs> I feel like people tell you enough stories when you're pregnant anyway so <laughs> at, least, at least I was reading the book at my own wheel rather than having everybody project on me all the time as I'm sure you probably experienced when you were pregnant when your family were pregnant uh,
0: can we talk about Len because he is such a marvelous, oh, monstrous, so s- weird character. So weird. Um, you know, he really—I was fascinated by him in a really ghoulish kind of kind of way. Um, w- from what depths
1: of your of your, of your
0: imagination did, did lend come from? I feel Len bad when you're from? talking
1: about books that have like creepy characters I hate talking like asking the author like where does this come in your psyche because like, <laughs> it's not at all a question on do you know what I mean I feel like it's like a backwards insult but it's not, not meant, it's, it's not, not meant, meant to no, be. it's not meant to
0: be because he's not I mean I mean that's that I think is is what I love is that he is so multi-dimensional so multi-dimensional um you know there are there are so many different layers to to his character. Um, So can you talk to us a little bit about Len, please?
2: I I think Len came first of all, his voice came to me first of all, you know, his dialect, Mm. the way he speaks and that very particular kind of cadence, the way he speaks. And that is the way that my granddad spoke and my family spoke, spoke kind of the way I used to speak, Mm. but especially the way a lot of the old older guys that i used to work with when i was 18 20 Mm. years old you know when i was working through the summers on construction sites for Mm. example in the east midlands and that's how these guys would speak and i'm sure they were all good people i'm sure they were kind-hearted people Mm. but some of them the way they spoke it was kind of devoid of any emotion Mm. any sensitivity Mm. it was very flat and clipped and that's how Len speaks. I mm. could see that straight yeah. away. And, you know, I I, know, I knew a lot of farmers. I know a lot of farmers. And that's often how they speak as well in that part of the world. Mm. They have that very direct, quite cold, quite simple yeah. way of talking. Yeah. And like I say, it's no reflection on them as people. <laughs> we
1: have the same in Australia.
2: very unemotional.
1: We have the same and, in Australia. Yeah,
2: Len, with Len, the voice came to me first, the dialect. Ah, yeah. And then I just kind of saw him as this... Olking farmer who doesn't really have a face for me. He's just a presence, an ever visible presence. Mm. He's always on the farm, which is another thing that I know about farms: is the farmer's always around. He's usually around. He's yeah. like in the farmhouse or he's out on his tractor or he's yeah. out fixing something. So because it's Fenland, it's different in a in a hill farm. But because it's Fenland, she can always see him and he can always see her. Mm. Can always mm. monitor her wherever he is if he's miles away in a different field he can look back and see his cottage yeah and she says a few times in the book that he the thing with a farmer is they're always dropping in mm. you know, for a hat for a pair of keys mm. for a sandwich for a coffee so he was just this menacing quietly menacing presence who doesn't really get angry doesn't shout doesn't raise his voice he's just violent in a very specific calm way which i think is probably the most terrifying form mm. of violence in some ways mm. and he the other thing that scared me about him writing him uh, was that he kind of justifies everything it all seems normal to him yeah so he and, and maybe some of that or a lot of that is from his upbringing and his relationship with his mother who's all, he also called jane so yes, his mother yes. was called jane his first wife was called jane we think and um, he calls the main character Jane. Even though that's I found that name. the most so, scary.
0: The, the and most then once to call thing. the baby
1: Janie, I was what, like, to call, call the
0: baby, the baby, baby, baby. Janie too?" Um, yeah, I mean, I find <laughs> found that absolutely horrifying. You know, and, and also the way he makes um, um, Tan Jane wear his mother's oh my God, clothes yuck. and his mother's pinny apron oh, to, to cooking mm. his
1: mother's like menstrual stuff. Oh, oh. gross. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which I found, he, uh, yeah he, terrifying. He
2: knows, uh, a monster of a man and it's almost like he wants to simplify everything so he calls everybody the same name and he demands that the food is cooked the way his mother his late mother cooked it and like he has a different meal on each day of the week yeah it's just a terrifying thing and and the thing that the scenes that scared me the most almost were where they were sitting down watching sport football or something in, at night time he's got an armchair and he he makes her sit on the floor yes. next to his leg and he kind of puts his hand in her hair and he says things like, it's not a bad life, is it, Jane? Roof over our head, food in our yeah. stomach, it's not a bad life. Yeah. So he almost believes that this is some kind of real marriage and that, that some of those uh, tips of dialogue were the most haunting for me.
1: Mm. When, um, when I was reading this, that character and the relationship between um, him and, and Je- his mother, it made me really think of um, Alfred Hitchcock's movie Psycho. Have you seen that? Yeah. yeah, with
2: but I'm hearing this a lot, but I haven't seen it. Oh,
1: you have you to seen see me. it. Are you serious? Okay, you have to see it. It's very, very good. Yeah. Um, um, but there's oh, well, now I don't want to talk about it because you haven't <laughs> seen it. Oh, but I'm okay.
2: familiar with it. I know that the Norman Bates character and the relationship with his mother, I, I understand is, the dynamic yeah, of it. Is, yeah, yeah, it's
1: it's yeah. it's very similar. I think when like I've got a very visual memory, and so when I was reading this, it was the same sort of like. I don't know what, if it if it is a medically diagnosed thing or, uh, you know, it's um, that, that sort of like son, mother. The, Oedipal the Oedipal Oedipus sort of complex. Like, I don't know if it is, is it Oedipus complex? Oedipus, yeah. I don't then, know, no, but, but it was a very similar sort of thing where, where he kind of like role plays um, elements of his mum. And I don't want to tell you now because you've not read it, but I mean, you've not watched it, but yeah maybe uh get back to us if you watch it <laughs> and, okay, then, and that. then let us know comment on yeah. comment on us and go oh yeah it was kind of similar like that mm. um yeah but- mothers have a lot to answer for yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, i do think that the mother Len's mom here is a real presence she's almost a character in the book oh, yeah, she is, she is. totally just,
0: there mm.
2: you can almost sense the smell of her and you use you know her old pennies are being worn by jane and like it's she has more of a more possessions there than, than our Jane has. Yes. Yeah. 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 She she is a strong kind of uh, like a ghost of the place.
1: Yeah. Mm. I was actually interested as to why you gave ten um, an accomplice, like somebody else. Um, how that sort of the, the way that it sort of ended. Why I was just interested to see, wonder why you sort of introduced that, other than the obvious fear of that he was um, scared of being found out. Was there another reason?
2: I've got to be honest with you. I don't. It's not very conscious, my mm. my thinking process. Yeah, oh, yeah it's totally. That, it's more that I saw a woman knock on the door.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the brilliant. Best I can
2: explain it. I could see that this this woman was living here in the farm with her husband husband, and then someone knocked on the door. Mm, what yeah. was that like? And I just like the idea of of uh, friendship in this book.
1: Yeah. Mm
2: in the worst possible situation. And that friendship only really manifests after a little while where they kind of help each other in very, very small ways. Like mm. there's one scene where Synth in the basement is kind of giving up hope. Mm. And and Tan kind of moves the baby yeah. under the sink where there's a little hole yeah. so that she can just touch the baby, so touch yeah. some kind of innocence, yeah. some fresh skin and that gives a hope for a few more days to kind of go on. So I just I like the idea that those two could help each other in some ways. And then I'm not going to say what happens at the end. No, we no we won't say what
0: hap- we won't say what happens again. <laughs> no, but we won't say. but it but it also works um, initially to intensify the horror. That yeah. that it's you know that it's not just Tan that yeah, that, that's um, that that Len has has taken synth as well, and then obviously we find out other things later, which which I don't think we will give away. Um, that you know that she's not the only one. So you're adding a whole other layer of oh my goodness, you know. Uh, he's even worse than than we thought and then and then you're right I think it then does shift so that you begin to have that relationship between Tan and Cynthia in a way Mm. it
1: actually made me feel like uh, sorry for him like when I realized there was more more than just her I think it kind of made me think oh god like I don't know part of it I was kind of like oh maybe he really was mourning his ex-wife Jane and maybe you know Tan Mm. did have similarities to his wife and maybe that was the catalyst for like creating this whole captive situation but then when Synth came into it I was kind of like I just felt it was such a um it just made things very real for me in a way of like going oh gosh I feel really sorry for this guy because he's really messed up like that I didn't feel sorry for him. No, I did. I did. I felt <laughs> sorry for him because I was like, oh my gosh, he's really like we already knew he was messed up, but I yeah. think you can like sometimes because his mum was a real character and his ex wife was a real character in the book, I think you can kind of like well, I was rationalizing it that he had like emotional damage and that he, you know, um town was like um ten was kind of like providing him with hope or a new start or whatever. But then when when Synth kind of comes into it, you just go, "Oh dear. Okay, this guy like needs some serious help."
2: <laughs> well, that's that's kind of how I see it. I see yeah. it as the main character knows this has got to stop, but then as soon as Synth is there, she 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 knows she's the one who has to stop it. She mm. has to act at some point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because
2: this is this goes beyond her personal um, hideous situation hmm. this is affecting other people so she has to act but I, I can't feel any sympathy for Lynn. no, honest, me either I, I know what you mean and do you know I
1: what I mean? Yeah. you say mm. that and
2: I, I take that as a compliment in a way because I wanted him to be a rounded character and to have a little bit more complexity as mm. he moved through the novel you know where he there are glimpses of kindness there
1: I think so things
2: that he does yes. for the baby but overall I just I know well I mean
1: I mean (laughs) obviously yes but I think like he is a well-rounded character like the way that I think it was also like going back to the baby it was really clever not only did you see um Tan's like um confidence to be a bit more assertive but you also saw him um softening and I think in the way that naturally a father does um i my partner's not a dad yet but um all of my, um, I've got lots of friends that have kids and I certainly see those sorts of changes in them, that there is like that sort of shift. Mm. And I think, um, yeah, I just think there was a a roundness to him that made him human in a way that he's, he is human. He's just a bit. Mm, yeah, but I,
0: would, I, but I would. I would. I would not have liked to have seen the experiment go on for much further to no, see to see what kind me, of father okay. he became. All right, me
1: either. Okay, all right. Now I'm sounding like Luke. <laughs> <fruit loop>. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just trying to see the best I, out of I, what,
2: everyone. <laughs> what you were saying about the, the baby, I, I kind of wanted to write that so that at the beginning. The main character's is kind of pulling her hair out because he's not listening. Yeah. When she's ill, when she has nappy rash, when she's not eating, she, she's losing weight. He's not paying attention to that. But then yeah. you're right. As soon as the baby gets to a certain stage, it clicks. Something clicks. clicks in and There it. is some humanity there. And he realizes, okay, this, I'm going to act. I'm going to do something here. Yeah. For then... So yeah, he's 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 a monster with a tiny, tiny chink of light, maybe.
1: Yeah. But that but that's yeah, what I said. There
0: we go. Thank you. <laughs> but that's but that's what makes it, but that's what makes him so 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 well formed. Yes, so, exactly. so congratulations. Yeah, so congratulations. I was gonna say, you know, he um, if he if he was purely purely evil then then he would have been much flatter and, and I yeah, don't think he, I don't think he would it would have worked. Um, but but he's not. But he's still a monster.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so well, what um
0: <laughs> uh, the last thing to burn is your fourth novel. I understand. Yeah, and, and obviously it's a standalone, but the previous three um, are a series and with Tuva Moodison, who's a um, um, a Swedish detective who's who's deaf, I believe. So um I have to admit, I, I haven't read them. We haven't actually come across those in Australia, but I have actually ordered them because I'm going to read them. I'd love, absolutely love love to read them. Um, what is it about crime, thriller that, that attracts you as an author? Other than the fact you're living in Sweden and, and, and you have all that Nordic noir darkness happening. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know what? I don't really even... I don't think about genres, I don't think in genres. Mm. So I didn't even know if I was writing crime or thrillers at the beginning. Like Dark Pines was the first two Moonson book. It's kind of a crime novel, it's kind of a thriller, but it's really a weird Twin Peaks style, small town mystery. With a moose. It's an oddball small town in Sweden. All the characters, strange characters, you know, the kind of two man police station, Mm. one hotel, one restaurant. And I just love diving back into that little fictional town each year when I write a new Moody song yeah. story. But really, I mean, there are bad things that happen in those books, but really they're, they're all about Tuva Sun, those books. Right. There was this brilliant, young, deaf journalist who's terrified of nature, and I put mm. her in the middle of the wild forest of Sweden, and she wants to live in Hong Kong or London or New mm. York. You know, she doesn't want to be there. And she drives a pickup truck and she's a journalist and she's got a fantastic editor who she can learn from. Yeah. But I just love the kind of small town dynamic. there. So mm. it's a th- they're all thrillers kind of, but like I think mm. the second to Tuva Song book, Red Snow, which is set in winter when it's kind of minus 25 degrees. There were no crimes in that book when I submitted yeah. it to my agent. Yeah. When I gave it to my agent and she was like, this is great. I love the kind of Gothic mystery element and it's set in a Victorian licorice factory in this, Mm-hmm. small town, but, like, nothing really bad happens, And I I, I kind of understood what she meant. And it yeah. didn't need, like, something to happen. But the stories aren't really about the crime. Okay. They're more mm. about the ripples in the community. Mm. And I love the fact that in a small town, Tuva's the journalist. She has to write these news stories about crimes and about things that happen. But then she has to queue up in the supermarket the same night. The story mm. comes out with the guy who's accused, you know, because right. it's so small. And yeah. I just like that dynamic, that small town dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, so they're kind of they're thrillers, but they are small town studies, really.
1: Mm. Which I feel like um, I don't know. Maybe Sweden is the place that you're meant to be because I do feel like like Mum and I both love Scandinavian crime series and anything to do like like the OG Scando crime stuff, like not not the American like versions of them. Mm. Um, and I do, I feel like they always like they are kind of not necessarily. Big bad things happen. There are these just like weird exchanges that start building tension mm. and relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I think mm.
2: that's that's mm. kind of what I'm fascinated by is relationships between yeah. neighbors and friends and co-workers. I'm, I'm I love writing office relationships, you know, friendships and mm. rivalries, and the relationship with the police and the local community. I just find all of that fascinating. But it's it's very character driven, I think, and it's very quirky, really. Mm. Um, you're not going to find huge massive heinous crimes and lots of gratuitous violence that doesn't interest me no mm. but what interests me is there is tension building tension where oh my goodness something bad is happening here what is it mm. delving deep into those secrets and lies to find out what it is i, I enjoy that
1: yeah mm. well then you have to watch psycho because you're gonna love it <laughs> <laughs>
0: so what are you what are you working on now will
2: so I'm working on, um, I just delivered the second standalone book. So oh, the terrific. To the Last Thing to Burn, which is set in New York. Mm-hmm. Kind of the opposite setting to the fens yeah. of England. So I wanted to kind of challenge myself and write something in a, in a metropolitan city. And I can't say too much about it, but it's about sibling relationships. It's about identity, again, and it's about revenge.
0: Mm. Ooh. Mm. And, and it no. was a
2: wild wild ride writing it i loved writing it and i can't wait for people to read it did you did you
0: go to new york
2: yeah i went three yeah. times mm. and uh also to to meet my agent and my yeah. editor over there but, yeah but i did a lot of walking one day i walked thirty six thousand steps so i kind of walked manhattan that's all a the lot of walking in the books because mm. i wanted to really get a feel for Different uh, settings, different places, at different times of day, mm. and I went during the time the book is set, which is in the autumn. So yeah, I. Um, it's 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 an exciting thing because it's nobody's read it yet, really. Yeah. my editor. So it's, yes. it's it's all still my baby. But it's it's uh, I'm yeah, it's going to be interesting to see people's reactions to it.
0: When's it? When is it um, due to come out?
2: So that will be out next year. <gasps> okay, early next year. Ooh, yeah.
1: great well we'll be calling you again (laughs) (laughs) all right well well, thank you so very much for chatting to us it has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and a little bit more about the books and we yeah we so we hope you have
0: incredible success with The Last Thing to Burn. I'm, I'm quite sure um, you will. and I, I know it, it's obviously out in the UK and it's out in Australia, but I think it's coming out in, in America in a couple of months. Is that is that right?
2: In April.
0: In April, yes. So um, we will have some followers go, well, where do I get hold of it? I can't get hold of it because we have people who, who talk to us from the States as well. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I think... I think it's going to be a goodie i think you're you're going to be talking to a lot of people this year um and it's going to be on if you do make it people's. if you make it into
1: a movie please get a swedish director get it like <laughs> yes cool <laughs>
2: well, the two the two the books have been bought by lionsgate
1: oh wow oh, terrific. congratulations uh, their
2: plan is to film it in sweden hopefully so oh crossed.
1: congratulations well wait fingers mm-hmm. crossed well yeah. yes will you, will you write the screenplay
2: I don't know, you know, I, it's, I think it's a kind of separate skill. Okay. Um, I yeah. love writing novels, so I'm not sure. Maybe one day, but maybe not quite yet. Yeah. I, I just love writing novels, so yeah. you know, I'll focus on that for now.
0: Okay. All right, brilliant. All right, well, thanks for talking to us, Will. We'll thanks see so you. Much we'll you you soon. Okay. okay,
1: bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Bye. Wow. Oh, that, I, I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, Will's Will was awesome. A, he was so lovely. So thank you again, Will. Yeah. Um, and I just loved uh, I just loved the fact that um, I'm blown away by the fact that Will was there in Sweden in the middle of his moose-filled um, in the snow. forest in the snow and, and, and here we are. Um, so it was, yeah, it was absolutely terrific.
1: Yeah, and it really uh, um, talking to him really made i think because i read this book so quickly um because i I just wanted to know what was happening to it i didn't spend a lot of time really like pondering and thinking about the characters throughout Mm. because i was just like i need to find out what's going to happen to jane um whereas but that makes for for a great book i mean a really well written book that you can actually do that without without overthinking yeah yeah Mm. definitely but speaking to will made me really go oh yeah Oh yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Like just talking about the well roundedness of each of the characters and like the complexities within each yeah. of them. And I just love that Will brilliantly he he didn't overthink that either. He just saw it and that's and that's and that's what And it was quite an organic sort of process. Yeah. Mm. Which is yeah amazing. Yes. So I hope you all really, really enjoyed The Last Thing to Burn by Will Dean. And if you haven't read it, I really do suggest you read it because it is great. It's really 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 good. One yeah. for one for the one for the bookshelf, I think. Definitely. It's really good. Definitely. Um, mm. so, it's that time of the episode. It is where we are discussing our next book for. February. I, know,
0: I know. And we Okay, so our next this is another new release. Um, just come out and it is called Shiver which already is making me feel cold. Um, actually, a nice follow-on from where Will live, is living in yeah. the snow. Uh, so Mind it's called boiling Shiver right now. By, by Ali Reynolds. Um, now, this is a debut novel. Um, Allie uh, came from the UK but is now living in Australia. Um, and she was a former professional snowboarder. So this is a bit of a, it's another thriller. Um, It's more like, I guess, kind of like a a murder mystery story, um, like a locked room story where it's set in the Swiss Alps in the middle of winter and five friends have a reunion after a number of years. Um, And originally there were six of them. But the sixth person was killed all those years ago, and this is the first time they've seen each other again. And it's kind of like they're locked off, away from everywhere, and we have to figure out who done it. Mm. So it um, very evocative of of the snow and. Um, being up in the mountains um, and a lot about snowboarding as well which I found really fascinating because um, I've skied but I've never
1: snowboarded so I think you will love it yeah. awesome well thank you everybody and we're excited to read Shiver with you all next and we'll speak to you soon happy reading goodbye
0: if you like this episode
1: please subscribe and leave us a review you can also find us on Instagram at both bothsides.com dot book club. We'll see you soon.